Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Abbott Elementary star Lisa Ann Walter performed stand-up comedy live at the Bethesda Theater in Bethesda, Maryland on September 17th. She called in to discuss growing up in Silver Spring, Maryland, and why the Hollywood strikes are so important. Thanks so much for joining us on WTOP. Oh my goodness, it is my pleasure. Are you kidding me? You know, when my publicist said, you're going to talk to WTOP, which is a radio station in DC. I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know. And well, you grew up if you grew up in Montgomery County, you have to know WTOP. So I sure do. And and yes, I do. In fact, I'm trying to remember where the towers are. They're not on are they on the way to Wheaton Plaza? There University is Boulevard. You're right. There is a tower there. There's a bunch of towers. There's one up in Frederick as well. They're all over. But um, but yeah, I mean, the, our station is now it's sort of like Friendship Heights, like right on the line of Chevy Chase and uh, in D.C., right there by the Met Friendship Heights Metro there now. Oh, yeah. You're fancy. Gotcha. Yeah. But actually, just a few blocks up on Wisconsin Avenue, if you go up from our station straight up, um, you'll be able to see the star of Abbott Elementary uh, doing some stand up comedy at the Bethesda Theater on September 17th. It's going to be like two shows, right? Like one at six and one at one at eight thirty. You know what? I think I'm going to add some special just for this show. And for the early show, we'll uh, we'll we'll do a recap of what's happening if the game is still going. I, I, you know, I'm a big Commanders fan or whatever they're going to be called by the time uh, I come do the show. Could be anything. You never know. You never know with the team. Yeah. Um, did you grow up watching them at RFK Stadium? You mentioned the, the football team. I did not. Unfortunately, I didn't know anybody. We were we were from Langley Park and uh, my parents were just lowly. My mom was a teacher. My dad worked for NASA. We didn't know any fancy people. So, you know, back in those days, you had to, like, be a legacy. You had to get them in somebody's will. Like, nobody had tickets. So I didn't have any friends that got to go to games. In fact, my first game ever to what was the former name um, was out here in in Los Angeles when they played the Rams. When the Rams, the first year that the Rams played, I took my son. And I sat right behind the and I had the time of my life. Oh, it was wow. a thrill. I, I can't even imagine. Like when you tell people out here for years, it was pretty shamefaced. You know, who's your team? And I'm like, well, I'm from I'm from the Washington area. So but, you know, now we have hope. I'm excited. 
Yeah, it's that's such a good point. And you mentioned, yeah, like they're back in the day at, when they played at RFK in the Joe Gibbs glory days, you know, it was it was like a, a wait list for those season tickets. And now it's been sad to see, you know, mostly, you know, probably Eagles fans. And I'm, I'm just thinking of the Abbott Elementary team, I guess would be Eagles. But yeah, like you see all the other opposing fans flocking down and filling the stadium. It's been embarrassing, but hopefully we'll turn it around. Uh, all right. I know it's true. And a hundred. 100% I, I have to my secondary team is the Eagles because you know I went to the Super Bowl to see my girl Cheryl Lee Ralph sing the the uh, uh, lit voice and sing so I you know I gotta I gotta root for the Eagles in that case but now I'm Washington 100% of the way oh Cheryl Lee Ralph is awesome awesome so glad you're all starting to get your, your flowers as they say um, well, sp- well speaking of flowers uh, in addition to the show didn't you recently earlier this year you were at the National Cherry Blossom uh, Festival the, the parade you were Grand Marshal memories of that really quick how fun was that oh my gosh I can't even tell you first of all it's the most glorious time of the year you know people say oh you know what's when I'm thinking about going to DC first thing you say to people is always don't go in the summer like, you think you know humid. I don't care if you're from New Orleans. You don't know humid until you come to our neck of the woods. But um, going in spring is just the most glorious, beautiful vision. And, you know, people welcome me home. Like, I really felt like a returning hero. It was just, it was, the, I can't even imagine. And, you know, it's so funny because the people were asking me, have you done, because I did commentating. You know, they were like, oh, you're going to like for an hour, you're going to do commentating about the parade. And I'm like, all right, I'll give it a whirl. So they said, well, you've been a broadcaster. I'm acting like it. I'm literally doing what I saw people do, like at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade my entire life. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I had a, such a good time and everybody was so welcoming. And it's it's beautiful, man. I, I love coming home. I mean, there's really no place like it in the world. It's it's a beautiful city. The people are incredible. You know, it's I'm I'm so excited to come home and do stand up. I got a lot of people from high school that are gonna come come see the show. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask, whether a bunch of family and friends turn up whenever you know you play a place like Bethesda Theater. Well, it used to be called Bethesda Blues and Jazz. They recently renamed it to Bethesda Theater, but it's gonna be a great hometown town crowd. Uh what yeah, but let's let's hear I mean we've we've sort of been mentioning it, but let's go a little more into into you know the how you grew up around here. So you're born in I guess what, Silver Spring, and your mom was a substitute teacher. So we got a little bit of, you know, Abbott Elementary, a Sicilian substitute teacher, no less. So we got a little Abbott uh foreshadowing. What? In fact, she was a she was a regular school teacher before she did substitute teaching in Moco. She was a regular old teacher in downtown DC. So I'm, you know, I I I've got kind of a bona fide of uh, yeah. of the Melissa Shimenti character from my mom's experience. She was a teacher for everything. She worked. Her first job was a one room schoolhouse in Pennsylvania when my dad was getting his uh, PhD. She taught everything from kindergarten through high school in one room. And they used to, like, let them stay home during the harvest. Like, it was country. And then (laughs) she went totally swung the other direction and started teaching in D.C. and did that for years and, you know, was the only white teacher in the school. It was really very similar to the Chimenti experience. Absolutely. Um, Do you remember remember the name of the school? I don't. I I was little. It was like when I was like four or five, six years old. Yeah. So I don't remember the name, unfortunately. But I know when she came out to substitute teach, she was teaching at Tacoma Park Junior High. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And then, of course, 
Absolutely. So you went to Tacoma Park Junior High, and then, of course, you graduated from Montgomery Blair High in uh, 79. Did you act in any high school plays or, you know, I want to know, you know, did you get bit by the, the bug of any performance art stuff while, while at high school at, at Blair? Uh, go Blazers. Uh, yes, Jason, I did. In fact, I was in the first, my first year, I did the musical, which was The Music Man. And then I did their non-musical plays, 10 Nights in a Bar Room. I can tell you every single one. My Fair Lady. And then I got mono in my senior year. Oh, no, that's right. I didn't do My Fair Lady. That was mono. My junior year, we did uh, Fiddler on the Roof. And I played Yenta and brought the house down. I got a standing ovation. I think that was the show that made me say, I want to do this my whole life. I want to make people feel. I want to make them laugh and cry. And it, it, the feeling of getting that sort of response was what I wanted. It wasn't the ovation. I mean, that was great. And I'm going to tell you something. That stage, that Montgomery Blair, the old school, not the new one now, but the old one on Wayne Avenue, had the widest proscenium stage in the DMC, except for the Kennedy Center. When they bought, when they built the Kennedy Center, it uh, that became the widest stage. But until they built the Kennedy Center, we had the widest stage. It was a beautiful theater. And I learned later that it had fell into disrepair. And I actually wrote this really long letter to the council, to the um, county council, to say, please don't destroy that theater. Like, I'll raise money. To rebuild that thing that should be used in the community it was, it's just sad there's like weeds growing in it i don't know if they've torn it down since i hope they didn't well yeah i don't know but that I, that's a good factoid about before the kennedy center the widest uh proscenium stage that's a good trivia there folks for our local listeners well real quick we also got to touch on that you you know got your theater degree in college at catholic in dc catholic u in 83 and another local connection um uh just kind of like what you did at the high school you know what you just mentioned the plays you acted at in high school like what 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 were some of the the big productions you were in while at catholic um well catholic i went to purposely because they had such a prestigious theater department one of the one of the best in the country that's not actually a um a, a theater school like Juilliard right so I chose it I, I went down by myself on the brand new subway back when I was in high school to visit the school and it was a beautiful spring day and I'm sitting there walking past the National Cathedral on my way to the drama department and I chose I had been offered a full senatorial scholarship because I, I was real political growing up. My family was, and I was. I was precinct captain for Jimmy Carter's campaign. I, was, I went to the inauguration at the White House. I had some really great times in D.C. Did, did a lot of marches, you know, the big ERA marches. By the way, still marching for it. Let's get on that, Congress. Um, but uh, so I was offered a senatorial scholarship to University of Maryland. But they just didn't have the theater department that Catholic did. So I took on the expense, which in those days, I think might have been $4,800 a year. Was not, near, not nearly I as ridiculous as it is now. Can you, can you even? So I, I said, no, I want to go here. And I got some scholarships and some grants. And I paid for it myself because I didn't get any. My family, as I said, didn't have money. So I took on the expense and, and went there and waited tables, you know, five days a week. And I think I was at the Bethesda Country Club for a while while I was there. And then a couple of other cafes, Splendide on DuPont Circle, La Brasserie down in, for people that remember back in the day, it was like 
the place to go in the 80s down next to the American Cafe um, near the train station, right down on, on uh, Massachusetts Avenue, I think. Yeah, I think that's where we were, Mass Ave. But anyway, I waited tables. I went to Cap Lake. We did all sorts of shows. Um, you know, you did what you do. Black Box, box Theater, uh, Loose Ends, and um, Stage Door. I mean, that was the first show that they did that had more women. Because, you know, in, in, in plays, it's really difficult. They, they use mostly men. So for girls to get any stage time, it's crazy. But, you know, I did the musicals and... You know, here's a weird story about Catholic. I went and auditioned for the actor Edward Norton was directing a movie. Oh, the one wow. he did with um, Ned Stiller. And I went and auditioned for him. And he looked at my resume and he goes, oh, you went to Catholic. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, I did a play there. And I looked at him like, I know his story. <laughs> because I knew that he was from Columbia, Maryland. His family like ran. They were like part of the Ralph family or something. They were big deals. And I was like, you went to Catholic? And he goes, no, I just did a play there when I was a kid. And he goes, you probably never heard of it. And I looked at him. I went, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What is, was it a play that they were trying out at Catholic and then they brought up to Broadway called Werewolf? And he goes, oh, my God, how did you know that? And I said, because you were the little kid in it. I ran sound my freshman year and I actually drove you home to Columbia twice because my dad lived out that way. Wait, you drove Ed Norton when he was a kid back to Columbia, which was, of course, yeah. designed by his grandfather, James Rouse with Columbia. But yes, I mean, that seriously. So you remember, oh, okay. you can can you picture his little kid face in the rearview mirror of your car? Like you can still envision it. <laughs> yeah, well, back in those days, people didn't put kids in the back. They just sat right up front. <laughs> Come on, Ed. Air, shotgun back then. Yeah, airbags aside, little Eddie, but, you're you're riding up front, shotgun. <laughs> you're riding in my in my 1970 Chevrolet Caprice Classic. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yes, um, he was he was absolutely adorable, and he was the little kid in this play about a town, you know, chasing a werewolf. Oh my God! It was the craziest thing. We sat there. I, I could not believe it. And then he wanted me to audition for a bigger role, and I knew what the role was, and that I wasn't going to get it because she had to be, she had to be, uh, pe people had to be mean to her, and I'm too likable. So I was like, I'm never going to get this role. But anyway, it was a really fun memory and some wild stuff in those days. Man, wow. we had a good time. Yeah, we have your dri you know, driving skills to thank because, it, you know, if, if you were a little more reckless behind the wheel, we might not have ever got, you know, Fight Club or any of that other good stuff. Wow, that's great. Thanks for taking care of Ed for 100%. us. 100%. <laughs> that's You're welcome. Great. You were his original Tyler Durden. So then, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAP Podcast. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. 
Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Uh, so then how do you so then how do you make the leap, you know, to Hollywood? Like, I know you spent, what, five years doing stand up. Well, what you're still doing with this show the uh, next couple of weeks from now. But uh, yeah, so like I know you did stand up and then there was like early TV shows like My Wildest Dreams on Fox and Life's Work on ABC. There were some early movies. Whoopi Goldberg's Eddie, the basketball movie and The Parent Trap. Yeah, you know, I think you were yep. the nanny to Lindsay Lohan and Dennis Quaid and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, just remind us how you made that that leap from, you know, from these DC memories you're talking about to, to actually, you know, landing these uh, screen roles. So once I graduated CAP, like I was doing... Um, uh, like the summer program with Arena Stage, and we were doing Streetcar Named Desire. I wound up doing it at Silver Spring Stage and got the best reviews I think I've ever received in my life. It, it was like my mother wrote them. Um, I had been trained so well at Catholic and at Arena that I, I was really comfortable in this role. And I met on the day of the first uh, read through, he was cast outside of the audition process who became my boyfriend and then my husband. He held the door for me and said, oh, are you in the play? And I said, yes. He said, who are you? I said, I'm Stella. He said, oh, I'm your husband. And then that became fact. Uh, that was my, my husband, Sam. And we uh, dated for a while, lived together. I did shows at um, Playwrights Theater, New Playwrights and Gala Hispanic and all these DC theaters. And then we went, to, uh, we went up to Cape Cod where we saved money for a year, lived on, that's where I got my green card, by the way, um, setting up, I was, I was helping John Cusack and the director of this movie, Savage Steve Holland. Um, they, I just waited tables and they fell in love with me. We were in some restaurant where we dressed up in costume and um, I got my, my uh, SAG card because they knew me and I went and did background work on the, on their movie. And, uh, after that, we moved to New York. I was like, I'm going to go be, I never thought I was going to be a, a movie or, or a TV actor. I just thought I was going to work in a really great repertory company like Arena or the Guthrie. So we moved to New York and I was always afraid to go on audition. I got pregnant almost immediately and had a baby. And after I made a human being, I was no longer afraid. And a girlfriend that went to Catholic with me, my best friend from Catholic, Nora Lynch, had been doing stand-up because it was the dawn of the comedy boom. She said, if any of us should be doing this, it should be you. And because I, I was the only person as young as we were, I mean, I was right out of college, having made a baby, I went on stage and I started talking about being a mother and being married. And it was a very unusual experience for stand-up. And I got really popular really quickly. I started headlining within about a year and year, year and a half. Within six months of starting stand-up, I was doing it on TV on It's Showtime at the Apollo and Killing. And I did that for actually seven years um, all over the country. Um, and I was offered, was opening for a, um, for a, a soap opera star called, uh, named Walt Willie, played Jackson Montgomery on All My Children. And he had a huge fan base of women. So I was his opening act. I would do about an hour and after a couple of years of that, I had honed the act to where it was real character, the housewife from hell. And I was given uh, a shot during TV shows. 
So when I came to LA, it was as a TV star with my own show, creating it and starring in it. And that was the first show on Fox and then became um, Life's Work on ABC, which was a monster hit. Um, did not go very long because we got a new president at the network. And they, they like to get rid of the stuff that's existing and bring their own stuff in, unfortunately. So um, that didn't go further, but a bunch of movies did, as you mentioned. And kind of that's how it happened. I, I created unscripted series like Dance Your Ass Off based on uh, my experience doing the movie Shall We Dance with Richard Gere and J-Lo. They wanted me to be heavy. I was eating 10,000 calories a day and still couldn't gain weight because of dancing so much. And, uh, and I, I looked at the experience having fought you know, trying to lose 10 pounds my whole life and said, why do we have all these TV shows where people scream at people to lose weight? Like women love to dance. Let's just do a dance show, a dance weight loss show. So that's what I created. And that ran on oxygen and internationally and was a monster hit. And, um, and then I, you know, did a whole bunch of other stuff. I actually uh, had a radio show while my twins, I have identical twins born on the same day as the twins in the parent trap. <laughs> weirdly October 11th and uh, when they were in high school I said I gotta stick around I can't go in you know because I was their I was their you know caretaker parent so I uh, did a radio show for about three years and then uh, started acting again and got the little show called uh, Abbott Elementary and been doing that and absolutely loving it and so I, I I've been doing stand-up here and there throughout all these years um, but raising kids is time consuming. You don't want to be away from them more than you have to be. So now they're all grown and I'm like, I'm going to do this again. So I've been back out and having a blast. I mean, all over the country. I've been home, I've been to Maryland once, but it was out near Baltimore. And so this is the first time this is my accent come out. Baltimore. Talking about coming home. Yeah. <laughs> so this is my first time playing my you know, my old stomping grounds and I'm super excited to be there. That's awesome. And uh, I know before we run, you've been generous with your time and I, I know we're sort of limited to what we can talk about with Abbott elementary because, uh, because of the strikes and everything. Um, but is there a way to yeah. at least, you know, get a good WTOP soundbite for me? Like if we can't discuss like, you know, the storylines or whatever, but like, can we at least dish on like, your talented co-stars, because that's what this the SAG strike's about, and the writer strike. But like, uh, you know, Keita Brunson, the genius of her, or Cheryl Lee Ralph, or Janelle James, Tyler Williams James, Chris Perfetti. Like, the, it's such a deep cast. Yeah, sure. I well, I will say this: it is an incredibly deep edge of of talent on both the acting and the writer side, and everybody who plays the kids on the show. I mean, for people who are fans of Abbott, the show isn't the show without those kids. And, you know, what? one of the geniuses of, of our show and casting department as well is finding those pieces of talent that you that people aren't familiar with, like Zach Fox, who plays Tariq on the shows, Quinta's, you know, old boyfriend, ne'er-do-well boyfriend. Like, American public had never heard of Janelle, and she was a comic that Quinta knew. But, you know, he's our... Every department does an incredible job on that show. And, and what I will say is that they are all incredible stalwart unionists. And we are all on the side of fighting for, you know, not us so much, not the names, but the people that are in the background, the people that are the day players, people that can't negotiate a contract. And just like everything else in America, it's really just about getting a little bit of, 
of the share of these enormous record billion, billion, billion dollar profits that the um, that the streaming services are seeing so that people can afford to live. It's expensive to live, as people in D.C. know. Any major city, you know, forget, forget about it. You pay your rent and there goes two thirds of your of your nut for the month. Yeah. So that's really all it is, is just trying to um, help people out to take care of their bills. And and by the way, we all cannot wait to get back to work. I miss Cheryl so much. She's truly one of my best friends. I, I've been lucky in my career to take away a few friends from um, from projects. Elaine Hendricks from The Parent Trap, who played Meredith. She's my best friend in the entire world. And now Cheryl. And I'm I miss her. You know, we don't get to see each other. You know, what's it like when you don't check in with your best friend every day? It, it hurts. So uh, let's get this strike settled so I can go back and see my friends. That's what I want to do. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, let's see, I guess the last season, season two, it started on September 21st. So season three, if you know, if there's if all this hadn't happened, would have been coming out probably in the next couple of weeks. But when, when were you supposed to start? When were you supposed 100%. to start film? When were you supposed to start filming? Like earlier in the summer? We were supposed to start. We were we were supposed to start mid-July. It was literally just, a, you know, a couple of weeks after the um, negotiations ended and, you know, we didn't have a deal. But even if we had, the writers were still out and they right. did not, you know, write, write in advance or anything because they honored the strike. I mean, Quinta, Quinta really is, um, she's very much of a stalwart, you know, uh, supporter of the union. And she wasn't going to write when they were supposed to be out, when they were supposed to be uh, on strike. So whenever it is that they clear their strike up, which, you know, who knows when that's going to happen, uh, it'll be about two months until we get to start. And one of the things Quinta was great at, I wanted to say this, is she created a show that generations can watch together. Right. Which is one of the great things about it. The people come up and tell us, I watch with my parents or I watch with my grandparents or my kids and I all watch together. And it was her absolute intention to do that, that she saw that there was not a show that was out there that was not corny. You know, people, grownups could watch it and not feel like it was a corny kid show, but kids loved it too. So having it start in September was one of the ways that she did a throwback to the old TV. You know, when there used to be a TV season. And you, you couldn't wait to watch every week to see what was going to happen with Janine and Gregory, right? Yeah. So that is her intention. We all can't wait to get back and do it. And honestly, it would be easy to solve. The people in charge of the corporations, not the individual producers or anything, they're us. They're creative. They work with us. But the corporations just have to be willing to give up a fraction of what they give to the shareholders. And honestly, they're making plenty. They got it to share. If you do the math, and I have because I'm big, I'm you know I work uh, the negotiation team in the union. It's really something like less than one percent. Less than one percent of their revenue could end all of this for both the writers and the actors. Yes, I hope you all can you know bring this strike to an end soon because all of our WTOP listeners want to see uh, season three of Abbott Elementary when it, whenever you know whenever it's back. But in the meantime, uh, you can still see Lisa Ann Walter at Bethesda Theater, hometown theater, on September seventeenth. Two shows, six and eight thirty in Bethesda. So get your tickets now. And uh, thank you so much for taking so much time with us today. Thank you, Jason. Take care. 
Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. 